Hey, what's going on? This is Mariah from Meek Up in the band Flush, and you're watching Guitar Tales with Dave Cullen. And welcome to another edition of Guitar Tales. What a great bumper, Mariah. Thank you so much. Mariah is one of two only ever two-time guests on Guitar Tales, the other being our erstwhile publicist extraordinaire, Scott Guitarmacist Engel. He's been on the show twice. Um, and I want to thank really specially um, the sponsor of the show, which is Charles Lorita of Mischief Studios over in Pennington, New Jersey. If you have any kind of music needs in the central Jersey area, and I'll, I'll, I'll take a leap here. I'll take you as far as Philadelphia and New York because uh, Pennington's very centrally located right off the highway. Uh, this is not just a virtual studio. This is a physical studio. I know exactly where the studio space is. You can record there. You could buy instruments there. When you get angry and Pete sounds into your guitar, you can get it fixed over there. Um, if you want to hook up with other musicians, uh, I know Charles is completely hooked up to the whole musical scene. If you want to help writing this song, they'll do it for you. Go to Mischief Studios. It's just a really special place with great people surrounding it. And I want to thank, as I do every week, uh, the guy who is often behind the scenes, sometimes in the front of the scenes, Scott Guitarmacist Engel. We started our journey. He's cheering back there in the green room, our virtual green room. Uh, 2019, when this was just a kernel of an idea, and here we are right around four years later. Uh, I think we probably have about 50, 60 shows under our belt. Lots of people in our Guitar Tales community. So I'm very thankful for my friend. Since we were in The Cure together before The Cure ever existed, my friend of 40 plus years, Scott Guitarmacist Engel. And much more important than Scott is our guest tonight. Scott, you don't even compare to our guest tonight. Uh, Dorian Chia, super cool guy. We were chatting uh, before we started. He is an electric violin player and so much more. Uh, Juilliard trained, lives on the West Coast right now. Uh, he has an album, I, I believe it's 717 coming out very soon, if not now. And that's on all streaming platforms. He has scored movies. He has toured with the best of them. Just as a little example from my cheat sheet, Celine Dion, Jennifer Lopez, Keisha, Brie Larson, Unvogue, Envogue, Envogue. I'll get it right or wrong. Um, Bernie Worrell from the Talking Heads. Uh, we have Scott Page from Pink Floyd, all sorts of others. So with a resume like that, we are thrilled to have you with us. Thanks so much for joining us. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Uh, we are really happy to see you. And believe it or not, you're our second guest who has found a beautiful way to marry the electric violin to rock and roll and all sorts of other forms. And it's it, it's such a great thing. You are, I, I was thinking about it during the introduction, you are our third or fourth L.A. resident who's been on the show. Uh, there's, there's a lot of us out here. I heard there's at least a couple of musicians out there in L.A. <laughs> you throw a rock and you, you hit three. Yeah, it, it's everywhere you go. Now, well, let me ask you this. You look modern. Um, and I will see so many people out there who look sort of, 70s rock and roll relic -y. 
Do you you see a lot of that up there or is that kind of done by now? I guess if I'm looking for it, you see whatever you look for, right? I mean, yeah, that's a good point. And you know, 70s is, I don't know if it came and went again or if it came back and it's just sticking around. That's, that's a good point. Yeah. You know, I mean, for me, it's the best writing, right? I love music of the 70s. You know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've the been writing. Really and kick for a while. Yes, yes. Yeah. And some of the greatest shit. I, I have, um, is it My Hometown or My my College? What's that song? Uh, Back in My Old oh, Town. My Old School. My Old School. <laughs> That's yeah, horrible. But, I, mean, I will play that 10 times in a row, literally, within the last month. I'll just keep playing it over and over again. It's just so good. I, I can't remember who, who asked this question, sort of a, just sort of a theoretical question, like what would have happened if they had like, you know, Pro Tools when they were making those records? Because those records are just so, just so meticulous. Everything about every, yes. uh, every sound on those records is so carefully placed. And oh, it's so perfect. Place. And but I think at the same time, like just so much soul, you know, and, and yeah. so much. And, uh, it really is. And, and I'll get on a kick. We're all, I'll just have Siri just get on, put, put together a Steely Dan channel when I'm driving. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, it's sort of shocking how many great songs and, and even the ones I might not know, just incredible, the musicianship. And you're right. They're literally perfect. Yeah. Like every piece of them are perfect. It's crazy. Yeah. So now you are originally a Jersey boy, right? Um, I, I passed through. Okay. So I grew up in Pittsburgh. That's right. When I was 13, um, my family my family moved to Ridgewood, New Jersey. Okay. Yeah. Bergen County. It's it's like about 30 minutes or so outside of New York City. Yep. 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 Uh, and that's where I went to high school. Um, since you've already outed me with the Juilliard thing. <laughs> that's, um, that's I started. I started at age 13, going to Juilliard pre college. Are you serious? Yeah, there's a pre-college division, wow. and uh, so so I started I started at that age, and it's like an all-day Saturday program. Okay. So you do whatever you do during the week, which of course usually is school. Yeah. And, uh, and then and then you know we would go into the city, and I forgot what time in the morning, but it'd be all day. You know. Okay. You theory and ear training and your your principal instrument for me, which was violin, your, you know, your lessons, you'd have, you know, you, you know, be in an orchestra, so you have orchestra rehearsal, chamber music, you know, playing a string quartet, be in that rehearsal. Um, and so it's like, you know, morning till night once a week. So this is as a 13 year old kid. Yeah. Now, so what, you know, once in a while, we actually Mariah, the, the, the uh, musician who gave us our bumper, her musical career started at age five or six when she was learning toys in the attic without a teacher. Yeah. <laughs> and so your story starts way before then, because if you're starting Juilliard at 13, somewhat before then, someone figured out that you had some crazy talent. So what's the backstory of that? So what happened is my mother, my mother was a classical music, still is a classical music lover. But okay. So... Um, driven and 
we were born into a house of music, classical oh, music, great. always on the radio. Um, her record collection was like 95% classical music. And there was a piano in the house. And when I was about two and a half years old, she sat down at the piano and started playing notes on the piano and saying, this is a C, this is a D, etc." And then she would play this game and turn like turn me around and say, what note is this? And she would play it. And so she discovered that I had perfect pitch. Wow. And, and, and people have that. That's right. amazing. And so from that moment on, she was on a mission and it became, of course, my mission because you don't really have uh, freedom of choice at two and a half. Um, right, right. And so that's what happened. And I started taking violin lessons and I don't remember too much those first couple of years. I do remember, like I have like a hazy recollection of being in a Suzuki, uh, Suzuki method where class where, you know, there were, you know, four or five of us. Right, right. Seen that, but, you know, start the kids young and you stand in a row and you all play, you know, you know whatever stuff like okay. that. twinkle twinkle little star and all those things and that's how i started to learn and then by the time i was five i got a teacher um and this was in pittsburgh and, okay and and i had his name was eugene phillips okay he played in the pittsburgh symphony he was in the first violin section of the pittsburgh symphony and that's not a slouch of a music town either. I mean, that's a serious music town. Yeah, Pittsburgh. Um, they, they, uh, they were a, a great symphony orchestra, and it was led by um, at that time a man named Lauren Mazel, who was was renowned conductor uh, in the classical music world. Um, I would go, uh, our mother would take us to those concerts. And I remember being really young, sitting in the way back of Heinz okay. Hall, the, the classical music venue. That's where the orchestra played and gave concerts. And I remember like trying very quietly to unwrap my candy and like, no, shh. You know, you get shh. Were you, were you like, trying to be a good kid or was were yeah, you a little rebellious? Trying. Oh, trying to follow the rules, you know, okay. musicians do, um, or we're supposed to do. That's good. All right. <laughs> and then, you know, and then like, and then 45 minutes into the concert, you know, like falling asleep, trying, you know, just remember trying so hard to keep my eyes open, but falling right, asleep. Right, right. Anyway, but my violin teacher played in the orchestra and um, I have very fond memories of being at Mr. Phillips' house um, from an early age. And um, he lived in this part of Pittsburgh with his wife, who's a piano teacher. Okay. Big house in this neighborhood called Squirrel, Squirrel Hill. Squirrel Hill. You know it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've been there. Yep. Uh, yeah. It's a beautiful neighborhood. Yep. Yeah. And his, his studio was up at the top. It was like the attic of the house. So you would go up like, I don't know, I guess it was three flights of stairs into his attic. And it, it had this certain smell of like rosin and, and, and wood and, and uh, you know, he was sort of like a, 
almost like a father figure to me, but, but, but he was like a very gentle, he was really gentle and creative soul. And, um, and it was, it was, it was sort of, um, it, it was, it was a safe haven for me. You know what I love about your language is that as you're starting this musical, just the description of your musical journey, you know, you could be talking just about sound and sight. You're talking about scent. And and, and that image is such a beautiful image. Mm-hmm. And I'll bet whenever you smell that, it, it makes you feel positive and good and safe, right? Yes. And and I remember, like, in his one of his bathrooms, he had these, these little cones of incense. Okay. Always sandalwood. Interesting. I, remember, I would go into the bathroom and just close the door and light the incense. Oh, that's great. <laughs> just just sit in there because I just I don't know, it was it was a comforting smell and it you know, it was earthy and you know, and Yeah. Um and, and you're affiliating that with learning what would become your real craft around a human being who's treating you well and respecting you like it's kind of neat and I would imagine if anytime you smell sandalwood, I mean, it, there must be this sort of Subtle, unconscious flood of great emotion. I haven't talked about this. I don't know, maybe ever. But now, now that I think about it, I gotta like go on Amazon and see if I can buy the. Oh, you have to. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly like it. You know, just to get back to it, it, you know, because certain sensory experiences like unlock memories and just like let you kind of absolutely live in different worlds. And so, yeah. But yeah, that was a really great experience. And, and one, of the, one of the things that I think is so important, was so important to my upbringing, and I think for anybody that studies music is perform. You know, you have to yeah. get in front of an audience. And he and his wife would hold recitals in their living room every Sunday afternoon. Wow. Often, probably once a month, <clears throat> I would perform and, you know, and they would put out chairs for all the parents and then there would be, I don't know how many, how many kids would perform, but you know, all the parents would come and, and, and then there would be performances. And, and like, those were some of the, my early experiences being on stage. Um, in their and house. that's a, that's a nurturing environment. Very nurturing. You know, and, and yeah. we've, I've used the word already, but it's a safe environment. You know, you're in, you're within the the walls of his Squirrel Hill home, their Squirrel Hill home, which is a beautiful tree lined community. That, that's really neat, and it's nice that they exposed you to that nice and early. Yeah, and it was, you know, it was a, it was sort of like um, this separate world from the rest of my life, right? And especially, um, well, I, you know, I, I talked about some of those sensory experiences, but. But performing, you know, I really loved just getting lost in the music. And, you know, and I, I, you know, just close my eyes and just really get lost in it. And I, I felt comfortable. I felt comfortable performing music in front of people. I didn't like to practice. Right. It made me practice. Good for her. Right. Yeah. Which, you know, I mean, I now when I, when I, I look back on that with a lot of gratitude. Yeah, I mean, you got the whole Malcolm Gladwell thing with the ten thousand hours. Yeah, you yeah, know, I mean, you evol- like, 
the more time you spend doing something, the better you get at it. It's yeah, really I mean, it makes sense, right? <laughs> it's it's kind of commonsensical, yeah. yeah. And then, so let me ask you this: so you, you'll spend part of your time in that happy, safe, nurturing space as you're becoming a good. You're all, you already are at that point a good enough musician to play in that home. What kind of kid are you in school? Yeah, so there's. <laughs> I was I was pushed really hard academically. Okay. And so I I was a good student. Okay. Until I wasn't. That, <laughs> that makes sense, right? And it was around that time when we moved from Pittsburgh, we moved to New Jersey. Jersey'll do that to you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Blame it on New Jersey, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um yeah, but around that time um I, I just kind of rebelled against that because there was a lot of structure in my right. life too much. I think, you know, there really wasn't any unstructured time. And that's, you yeah. know, that's sort of the trade-off, you know, for, for other forms of music. Um, it's not like this, but in classical music, in order to really excel, it takes a tremendous amount of devotion right. and sacrifice early in life. Yeah, I, that was sort of the world that I was in as as a you know prepubescent. Yeah, child. that's so. interesting, and, and you know, like, and it's such a, a universal concept. Uh, you know, I grew up in a town where a lot of the parents put a lot of pressure on their kids in sports and academics. Uh, not I grew up, but we, my ex wife and I raised our kids Montgomery Township, New Jersey, and it's at one point it was like a top three school. So whether it's academia musicianship and sports there, there was a lot of parental pressure and every so often you'd see a kid buckle or yeah. or, or not even buckle like more like what you did say eh, i, I kind of want a little more or a little different from this yeah that's right yeah and and i don't know like you know i don't know what's right and wrong but you know if you don't have the drive in you to pursue the path that you're led on yep. and somewhere along the way that's going to show up and yep. it's going to show up and, and and you know that's the process of becoming an adult as you start to make your own decisions exactly yeah. but, but but the funny thing is it's almost like there's no wrong path you know you, you know you were given a path you... i'm glad you said that that's i think that's really true because yeah. Yeah, you make mistakes and stuff, but the mistakes that you make can end up opening up new doors, right? And yeah. new situations, and and it's you know like in art, there there are no wrong answers. Exactly. Yeah, it's it, it's so true. You know, and, and and if there is, if we even decide to call it a wrong, you know, I'll, I'll do some air quotes. You know, um, and if we decide to call it a wrong, then it's a teaching moment for us. It's a self teaching moment, and if it's a right, it's a right. Uh, but look, you're in this amazing place right now. You are the sum total of all those things that went down, yeah. and, you know, and your life looks, at least from the outside looking in, your life looks pretty damn good. And, and from your affect, it looks like from the inside looking out, your life seems pretty good too. You know, so you're the sum total of all those things. I'm, I'm pretty content right now. Things are good. Yeah, that's, that's good. I mean, it, and, and I was curious about that struggle because that, that level of devotion, you know, I, I saw it as a parent. I didn't, I was not subjected to that. You know, my parents were almost like the Charlie Brown parents when I was doing homework because I wouldn't. 
you know, they would just be saying, do your homework. And I kind of laugh and not do it. And I became a lawyer, you know, um, which is what I am. Uh, but, but I saw, you know, when I was married, we put a little bit of pressure on our kids. We saw other parents put a lot of pressure on their kids and, you know, and they each, and those different paths, they all end up in, in a pretty cool place. Most of them anyway, yeah. you know? Yeah. So I'll tell you a little story that sort of, I guess, I don't know if I should tell it, but I'm going to tell it anyway. Uh, we like um, that on Guitar Tales. So on, uh, on, I don't know, it was somewhere around 13. I, it was, I had just moved to New Jersey and I was starting school in a new place. And I had a friend um, who got a, an electric guitar for his 13th birthday. And um, I remember going over to his house and he was showing it to me. And um, it was it was the coolest thing I'd ever seen. And the reason that it was the coolest thing I'd ever seen is because my upbringing was so strict that I wasn't even allowed to listen to anything other than classical music. Gotcha. Like it was pretty, you know, like that's extreme, right? And it is. Know, I the only thing that I knew before I started to like venture outside of the boundaries that my parents had set was like, they had some Simon and Garfunkel records. Okay. Record collection. And I was like, wow, that kind of has a beat, you know? And I was like, oh, right. wow, that's kind of cool. So when they would go out and like put those records on, listen to them. But anyway, at a certain point, I started to hear other music, you know? And at the time, you know, this was in the eighties. And so it was like the early, it was like the, the birth of the MTV era and yeah. stuff. So I was hearing that kind of music and it just- By the way, I have to jump in. You're pissing me off because that means you're pretty damn close to my age. <laughs> that's, just, that's, that's just pissing me the hell off, but continue with your story, go on. I, I should have probably skipped the whole era thing because I don't yeah. want to do it myself, but too late, right? Yeah. Anyway, so um, yeah, so I remember going over to his house and like, I don't know. He liked Elvis Presley. And I, I was like, that's cool. Okay. So we were yeah. listening to Elvis Presley records. And like, I had a good ear from all this, you know, classical music training. And so I would like figure yeah. out well, like where the notes were on the guitar and it was simple stuff anyway. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and we would just learn them and just listen and play along. And it just, it was just so cool to hold this thing that like I saw on MTV, you know, I'm like, that's very, yeah, <laughs> that's as a kid, you know, yeah. and then, so the school is a junior high school and, and there was um, a music room that was run by this, he was the coolest music teacher ever. And he had like a couple of drum kits down there. It was in the basement of the school. He had guitar amps and he had a whole bunch of, um, you know, electric guitars and stuff down there. And so as soon as I found out about that, I would like go down there every day after school you know, and somebody, some kid was like, taught me how to play bar chords on the guitar. I'm like, oh, that's what that sound is, you know? And um, yeah. so anyway, so now here's the part that I was like, I don't know if I should tell this story, but- um, You picked up the guitar and you killed the other kids so you could be the I, guitar player. I, um, one day, I would ride my bike to school. One day, okay. I brought a big plastic garbage bag with me to school and went, into the room in the in the middle of the day nobody was in there and i grabbed one of the guitars wow. and i i put it in the plastic bag and my plan was to steal it 
Wow. And I, and I did. And I got on my bike and I rode home in the middle of the day when I was supposed to be in class or lunch. And I just remember my heart pounding. And yeah. I remember riding my bike down the block past like I don't remember it was it was some teacher or something and I thought I was I thought I was done for you know I thought I was like this is it my life is over right. but he didn't see me or whatever I think I was just carrying this bag and wow. riding a bike with one hand and I rode all the way home and I I hid that thing in my my bedroom closet and and that's in that and I learned to play guitar that year and and I had that guitar for like probably over a year or maybe no the most of the school year before my mom found it and you know of course she freaked out she made me that's, that um, is fascinating but i yeah and i had this guitar and it was like a guild um knockoff it wasn't an actual guild it, it looked yeah. like uh you know look, like looks like the uh the one that you see you know angus young playing you know Oh, or, oh, okay, like an SG-ish kind of guitar. SG, yeah, 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 yeah. But wow. I would to, I would listen to like Led Zeppelin records and try to copy the riffs, you know, like learn how to play rock and roll and Black Dog and you know all that stuff. And that's how I learned. I kind of like taught myself to play guitar like that. And, and there's some good though, even you know from that quasi victimless crime right <laughs> yeah. you know you're here and and scott i meant to jump in earlier scott gives us comments i'm looking and he he gets mad at me because i always give him credit instead of taking it for myself but he remember bob ross the painter he talks about the happy accidents right you, yeah. you did you did a, a mischievous kind of thing and yeah. um i mean you know, i just had this desire to be that so bad you know yeah and no outlet for it and there was no support for it yeah so i did the only thing that i knew to do um and i had this little boom box and i don't remember how exactly i did this but i i figured out how to like i had like i figured out how to i don't know i got it i i modified a cable so that i could plug it from my guitar into like the the RCA jacks inputs of the of the boombox in the back of it. I did and the I same thing as a kid. My, the speakers, yeah. and then yeah, and then like I remember going down to the local music store and I bought a little Boss distortion pedal. So let me wait. I got to jump in. So when you're so you've got that going on, how did you reconcile this with mom? Because it's, she's going to hear you in the house, right? I don't know. How big your Both house my parents was? Worked, so I had I had okay. a time when they weren't in the house. Did they and know that you had? Uh, I know the setup exactly. I did it with a radio once when I was ninth, tenth grade or something. Did would you hide it from them? Did they know you had it? No, they didn't know. So I hid I hid my guitar in the back of my closet. Okay. And uh, you know, eventually my mom found it, and then that was that. But um, well, no, no, we can't. That's like a yada yada yada. We. We got to slow down. So, so how did you guys? Because I can hear by the way you talk about mom that you guys are wonderful. So you, you work. It sounds like you worked through it. You know, like eventually. Then I will yada yada yada. But that that's interesting. You know, I, I as soon as I started hearing any kind of music that wasn't classical music, and it started okay. like when I was like ten or eleven. Right. Um, 
I started hearing like some of the earliest stuff that I heard was like some Dave, David Bowie had some okay. early eighties and, and like, and then there was all the new wave stuff and like the pop, like Duran Duran. Yep. And, um, and, um, Oh, I remember the police. Yeah. And they're doing interesting stuff musically that I think would attract you besides the rock and roll piece of it, right? Yeah. I mean, the police had all kinds of really cool stuff going on. And, uh, and um, yeah, and and then they, some of it was really moody, which really appealed to me. Yeah. You know? And, and Scott is mentioning that, you know, a lot of rock and roll is pulling stuff out of classical. You know? That's true. Have That's you heard true. Richie Blackmore? I heard some like something that's finding its way around YouTube. He's talking about how smoke on the water is really like this. I, I think it's bullshit. Which is not correct. It's played in fourths, rigid fourths, which is going back to the medieval times. That's how they played a lot of Sean parts was parallel fourths. So now you have Beethoven. Bum 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 bum. And I thought, play that backwards. Put something to it, and you've got bum 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 bum. That's how I came up with it. Hang on, hang on. Are you telling me? Yes. That the famous riff for Smoke on the Water is from Beethoven. It's an interpretation of inversion. If you turn it back and play it back and forth, it's actually Beethoven's fifth. So I owe him a lot of money. I heard that too, and I and I tried to like not laugh. No, I, I was like, oh, let me see. And I I I couldn't see it. I couldn't no, see it, 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 one it, to the other. But but you know, who's to say, you know, I'm not I can't say he's wrong. You probably could. But he said smoke on the water came from Beethoven's Fifth Symphony. Yeah, I don't think it. I played that. It was like the first. I mean, granted, it's not a you know, it's not that level. I'm like an eighth grade. Every every I want to say That's every what boy I learned to play down in the basement of my of my you know middle school too. Yeah, smoke on the water, of course. And, and he's adding all this incredible music, musical depth and sophistication to like three chords. You know. Yeah. Well, I loved I loved Deep Purple. Yeah, I mean, they're great. For some of my early guitar influences with Richie Blackmore. Right, right. And, and he, he was wonderful, but like he's waxing philosophic about that song. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't see that one coming. Yeah, it was kind of funny to listen to. And he, and he was talking about it as seriously as though he were Beethoven, you know, <laughs> reflecting upon this incredible world-renowned symphony he put together. And the, the interviewer is taking him seriously. And I... I and and I make it clear on this show, I'm a crappy guitar player, so I don't I don't have the authority, so to speak, to really question mm -hmm. it. But but all my instincts were telling me, no, this this just isn't ringing true. And now we've got a real a, a, a true classically trained musician on, and it, it just it didn't sound to me like that was real. But yeah, I mean, who knows? I mean, yeah. I, I can't you know I can't say what went on in his head wrote that song, of course. Right. So. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But, uh, so, so thing is, you know, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say what what I love about our conversation right now, like there's meaning and depth to it, and you're still 13. 
you know, like, because right. We're only, you're not even in high school yet when we're talking about all this, right? You're, when you're yeah. discovering rock and roll and, and I have to say, I could tell you, I was in Hazlitt, New Jersey when I was taught bar chords, uh, a, a girl who was older, I mean, not a woman, a girl, she taught me bar chords and it was like the greatest thing in the world because suddenly you're all over the neck of the guitar. Yeah. It's the most freeing thing in the world, you know? Um, but so, so you've got this going on, right? Are you still doing, you know, taking lessons and engaged in classical music while this is going on? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I was still in, and like I said, there's that, the pre-college program at Juilliard is all day Saturdays. So that's, oh, that's so that's going on contemporaneous with this. And it was not, you know, definitely outside, you know, what I was yeah. doing, where my new passion lay was completely outside the scope because, you know, at, at the time there was nothing else but classical music at Juilliard, you know? Right. And, and uh, I, I know a tiny bit about it only because my law partner's son uh, plays stand up bass and he's about to graduate from Juilliard. So oh, wow. just, you know, just having met him and he, he is actually babysit for the pain in the ass dog who is annoying me as we speak. Um, but, but I know through him and through my partner, just it's a challenging existence there. Did, did you do like Tanglewood in the summers or anything like that? Um, I went one summer, I went to Aspen. Okay. That's another, it's a music festival. And, and, um, and that was a really beautiful experience. Okay. Um, I had gone to other music camps um, when I was like 10 and 11, I went to a place called Meadowmount, which is okay. uh, up in upstate New York. All right. Um, and they really work you like you, you're, you're locked in your practice room for like five hours a day. Really? Well, not, not literally locked in there, but, but the rules you're are in there. Work. Yeah. Wow. You practice a day from eight to 12 and then again from four to five. So, so during this period of time, you've discovered rock and roll, but you're still in the Juilliard sort of pre-college program, what's your attitude about classical music when you have, it's almost like you're having an affair on classical I music. Completely, I was completely disinterested. Okay. I didn't want any part of it. And I showed up when and where I had to. You phoned it in. And, and yeah. And, you know, and I, I would just, I would do the bare minimum. Okay. And, you know, so like that was, when I look back on it, it, I mean, it is what it is, but there was this amazing resource for a young musician okay. that I didn't really partake of, you know, because I, my heart was somewhere else. Yeah. And, you know, so like I formed a band, you know, when I was, you know, I formed a band with some friends and, and I would go over to there, you know, would go over and like write songs on guitar and, 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 and rehearse with them every day after school. And, and that's what I wanted to do. It, you know, so. it, it's really, uh, I love it because you probably at Juilliard, almost if not literally against your will, were still growing as a musician there. You, you couldn't not be. Even, even if you were resisting, even if you were unhappy, I have to think that your musical skills were still developing on some level. Uh, yeah, I mean, to a certain extent, although I would say that most of my musical development took place in Pittsburgh before I got really, there. really, even though, you know, I had one of the most world famous violin teachers who was um, yeah, at Juilliard. And okay. I was accepted into her class. Um, 
and and recently I've kind of looked into like just just to read more about you know how she because some of her students are 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 you know her students are among some of the most famous and successful concert violinists of the late 20th century. Wow. And um and and I, you know, I just didn't really show up for that because I wanted something else, you know, like I, right. I wanted, I wanted to be Eddie Van Halen. Yeah. Well, there, there, there's an amazing be, appeal to that, right? And Jimmy Page and, and, and Jeff Beck and David Gilmore. And those were, those became my musical heroes as soon yeah. as I was old enough to become aware of what I liked, what my tastes were. That's, that's, the, that's where I looked, you know? Well, you know, it's funny. I'll be I'll, Scott just wrote a great segue, and it's, he's right. I don't know if you can see right. If you look at your screen, Scott's talking to us periodically. Oh, I <laughs> and I you know, but. I will be driving in my car, and, and I kid you not, my, my law partner has, and, and, and I'll, I say this to his face. He, through his son, he has a little bit of classical music. Dare I say arrogance? Even though he loves Elvis Costello and Nick Lowe and all that stuff. And I'll be listening, let's say Elvis Costello, right? Love Elvis. And and then I'll I'll have an argument with this pretend classical musician as I'm driving. Like, yes, but this is more listenable for us in this time, right? Yeah. And I don't care that there, there is more sophistication to the composition of that, that there is me and I don't know that I even agree with it. More challenge to to the performance of it because if 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 what either Jimmy Page or does or what Elvis writes and sings was so easy that every classical musician would suddenly become a zillionaire by putting it out there. So when you find yourself working your way into the the world of pop and rock and roll, more rock obviously, there, I, I think there is incredible legitimacy to it because we listen to it and. I mean, yes, the attraction to the Eddie Van Halen to be a rock god, that's a, that's a different category of stuff, right? But the music itself is so listenable. It, it yeah. makes us feel good. It know? feels good immediately. And it, yeah. hit, it hits on levels that don't exist in classical music. That's, I think yeah. it, it speaks... It speaks to the gut. Like the power of the, you know, the kick drum on the one and the three or whatever it is, you know, like the power of the beat ignites this tribal urge, you know, and it's as, it's as old as, it's as old as humanity. And yeah, it, it, it's, and, it, and it's, and it's immediate, you know, it's like, it's, it's immediately there. And for me, it was irresistible. And at the same time, I find a certain satisfaction now, like way, like I was so far from being able to experience this back when I was studying classical music. But just as an example, uh, I don't know, a few months ago, I went to see um, a violinist who I admire performing as a soloist with the uh, LA Philharmonic. Okay. And the second half of the concert was a Mahler symphony. And like, there's a certain thing 
that happens near the very end of the the fourth movement of the piece. So we're, this is like 47 minutes into the piece, right? It's almost at the very end. And the horns come in, in this moment that is just, it's, it's so powerful and so joyous. And, and if you were to just skip right to that part and listen to it, it's like, where, where's that magic that I just felt? I, I can't find it, you know? Because it takes 47 minutes of a setup to get there, to unleash this power in this like glory, you know? It, you, you know, and you, you can't get that. There's a certain thing you can't get in a three minute song. Right, right. And that's why, and you're not saying, and, and you're not sort of pushing off all of classical music no, not but, at all. And I get, yeah, it's, um, da, 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 no, no, I'm thinking of a different one. Um, there's one classical piece that speaks to me. It'll uh, New World Symphony. I thought that's what you were singing. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. New World and, and yeah. Da, 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 da. And, and, and it's, it's sort of the same thing. If you know, if you've heard the piece a few times, and so now you, I, I'll put it on when I'm, you know, I'm driving, and and I'm waiting for that to come. I'm waiting for it, and, and it's so satisfying. But here's another one: sticks. I, I have sticks right behind me on the wall right there. Um, uh, what the song is it? And I can't think of the song, but there's a stick song that within those four minutes, a mini version. And, and I'm waiting for this really great power chord to come in. But yeah, like for me, New World Symphony, I'll, yeah. what, you know, you know it better than I am sure, but I'm probably waiting 20 minutes for, for, you know, that one part to come in. And then I start thinking about, you know, cattle cars going across America and all these great things about the new world. That's what I put on it. But yeah, so, so that's great. So you, you have this sort of musical, emotional homecoming. Where you, you know you'll come back to it now and then, and still love it. Yeah, I like that word. Yeah, it, it, it's special, and, and and you can. I mean, you know this already, but I'll say it anyway. You you can marry your love of rock and your your love of classical, and they're all going to live in a happy place together. Well, but, that's what I'm doing. That's what I'm trying to. I think my next project, and I've already done three three pieces. Um, and I've scored for, for the whole orchestra. So it's electric violin and some, you know, rock elements with a 60 piece orchestra. Wow. And uh, yeah, it's, it's really fun. That's amazing. It's and really fun to um, play in that sandbox now. I bet it is. And, and let me just do this. I would like if Scott wouldn't mind just the, I, w- I want to build your rock and roll street cred right here, um, and and tell me that who did the who was the guitar player on the um, on the Michael Jackson solo that you did? Was it Eddie? It was Eddie, right? Yeah, who, that's Eddie Van Halen. All right, all right. Well, Scott, if you wouldn't mind queuing that up, it's such a great piece, and we will not be able to talk till it's done. We can't talk through it, but if you could throw it on, Scott, that would be great.
Scott would let me drop more F-bombs on this show, I would say that's effing great, but I can't say the full word. Uh, that, that, you know, Scott and I talked about it. He just typed it in today. We were watching it right before you came on. It's not just that you played the notes. It's you, you got the feel, you got the nuance, you, you did the harmonics. And, <laughs> and, and my comment on that, so reflective of our conversation today, there was rebellious joy on your face. Not just joy, rebellious joy when you're playing that. Am I, am I wrong? Is that what you were feeling? thousand percent i love i you know there's an attitude and a like a just a signature a, a soul signature in his playing yeah that just turns me on like nothing else he permeates this show and it's I mean, not necessarily yeah. I mean, yeah, like the, the technique is impressive, you know, right. and the speed and the clean speed of his playing and the tone, it's all amazing, but it's the, I don't know, it's just the, the choices and the timing and yeah. just, just the, uh, you know, the, the feel. And, uh, and, and, you know, I've always loved that guitar solo, like, yeah, loved the song, you know, it was one of the earliest bits of pop music I ever heard, you know, I was like 11 it, or 12 it, years old. And I, it, I thought he didn't even get paid to play that. He just did it for fun. I read, I read recently, he just got paid scale. Oh, we're know? right. Okay. He got paid. Um, I think that's what I read. Okay. There was more to the story I read about it, but um, but not commensurate to who he was at all. No, no. Right. Oh, right. No, there was something like, oh, he wasn't allowed to be credited on it. Be he wasn't allowed That's to right. be credited on it because of because he was part of Van Halen, right? And there was something in his contract that didn't oh. allow. And then Scott just wrote in. He apparently recorded it at home and just sent it to them. Really? I didn't know that. I didn't either. But it's amazing. And let me ask you this. Do you, 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 I loved hearing, especially from you as a guest, because you, you understand classical and you have a very sophisticated understanding of music and you're talking about choices. Do you think Eddie's smile when he plays, plays a role in what makes him so amazing? Because the, the visual of his smile, like as soon as I said that, you probably saw him smiling. When he played, I think anyone who hears me say that, hears anyone say that, we all know that Eddie smile. And I wonder if that's a piece of what makes his music so great. The the joy and the effortless joy. The joy. Well, you know, we all can tell the difference between a fake smile and a real smile, right? Oh my God. Even yeah. if we don't yeah. even if we don't consciously acknowledge it, there's something there's something there's something in us, like deep in our lizard brain that knows yeah. when a smile comes from way down deep inside when yeah. it comes in here and so i would say that yes a hundred percent that smile is a part of it to the extent that you know it comes from the same place his smile is coming from the same place that yeah that the the move the the impulses that go to his fingers 
Yeah, that makes sense. So, so the neurons from this intense joy. Yeah, I you love know? that. The neurons yeah. that are firing felt off like, felt like joy. Yeah. And it just goes, and, it, and yeah. it can't help but show up, and it comes out of every fucking. Oops, sorry. Yeah. Comes That's out a, every, we need at least one f bomb a show. I love it. You know, you can't stop it. It's yeah. going to come out in your face, and it's going to come out in your fingers, and it's going to come out in the way your body moves. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, like that's like, and that's you know that's the real deal. Yeah, that's the real stuff, and it's yeah. Be, we can copy it, and in that case, that's I was just trying. Yeah, I was trying to copy as as closely as I could, note for note. But you did more than that. You did more than that because you I, you emote on that. That's you don't what just I, play. That's it. Thank you. I mean, I hope, you know, I hope to do that whenever I pick up my instrument is to is to let it come from that place. And and I'll make this observation. I think I'm going to guess that that part of what's driving the success that you're clearly having. And and let me throw it in because you won't volunteer. You're Emmy nominated. I mean, like you're you you are the real, real, real deal. And, And I'm going to guess that, you know, that struggle between childhood pressure to be classical, your your you know your desire, your rebellious desire to have freedom, and you're finding it in rock and roll. That 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 struggle, your whole life is going to wonderfully inform your music. You know, like you, you've got like you you've got you've got Lenny Bernstein on his shoulder, you know, and you've got Eddie Van Halen on his shoulder, and they're all chatting and like, do this, do this. And, and, and I think it, it's working for you. I think if you didn't, I mean, for your art, if you didn't have this shoulder informing this shoulder or this shoulder informing this shoulder, I don't think your art would be as good as it is. Like, yeah. I think that's probably a wonderful thing. Yeah. I'm, I'm so grateful for all of it. You know, even the, you know, yeah, I'm so grateful for, for the, hours in the practice room and the yeah. getting in trouble and, <laughs> and, uh, you know, wanting to, you wanting to be the cool kid, you know, with like yeah. rock and roll hair and, and, uh, you still and, have yours, man. Scott and I lost, Scott and I lost ours, our rock and roll hair. <laughs> you know, it's the desire. Those desires are what it's like, uh, like the bow and arrow, you know, it's like you have that resistance and then that's yeah. where the arrow, you know? Right, because you've got you're the top of the arrow, the bottom of the arrow, you're going to find the right spot. Yeah. It, it, it's all beautiful stuff. And uh, now, we, it, and any good guitar tale show, and this is, God knows it's one of them, I'm looking at the clock, we've been chatting almost an hour already and it feels like it's been five oh, wow. minutes. Yeah, this is how it usually goes with, a, with our really good shows. So, before we and we should probably have you back on. I'll, I'll extend it right now because, you know, it, we could call this part one. We haven't even gotten too deep in, but uh, I know you have uh, seven seventeen. I wrote it down. Tell us about that a little bit. Yeah. Um, so I worked with um, this is the second album that I did with Bill Laswell. Okay. An incredible bass player and producer who's worked with so many amazing amazing artists um i don't know if you remember this song rocket by herbie hancock oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah that was bill laswell who produced that wow anyway 
So I've done, I did a record with Bill back in 2007 called okay. Arma, which is also on, it's also on my Spotify and Apple Music. Okay. And, stuff. and then this one, um, I, I sort of had this idea to do some rock covers. So like I, you know, I have like that Led Zeppelin cover, Dazed and Confused. Beautiful. Um, I do a version of Hallelujah, the Leonard Cohen song. Oh yeah, yeah. And um, and then there's um, and then there's also on that album there's a cover of Vaseline by Stone Temple Pilots. Very good song. Who um, there, I love that band. You said you like moody kind of music, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I love I love I mean some of my favorite '90s. Um, some of my I mean Stone Temple Pilots, one of my favorite bands. Period. But yeah. What a, the what vocals a, are so haunting. Oh man, Scott. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so I um I started doing the tracking for it and Bill's Bill's in uh in the New York area. His studio is actually in New Jersey in Orange. Okay. Um but um He's corrupting you in Jersey. <laughs> yeah. I flew out there, you know, I asked him like, Hey, will you will you co produce this with me? And he said, Yeah. So I flew out there and we did and we did some more tracking um, in his studio, and then he mixed it. That's great. Um, and so yeah, so that one's out there, and um, and it's because of Bill that I got to work on the, my first album. I got to work with Bernie Worrell. Yep, yep. And, um, and I got to work with um, um, Zakir Hussein playing ta uh, tabla on that record, and uh, Kirsch Kale, who is one of the He's, um, you know, in terms of like, um, I don't even know how to describe it. I mean, he's, you know, he's in terms of like Indian um, fusion music. Okay, okay. He had this thing. Going all the way back to Ravi, Ravi Shankar, like that kind of stuff. Yeah, but taking that like so and then bringing that into the 21st century. Gotcha. So he, okay. had this, he had this project with Bill called Tabla Beat Science. Um. And so that's where some of that's where yeah so so uh, he brought Kirsch in on that stuff and that was really fun to put that together. Um, so yeah, that's the album and it, it is out now. Oh, that and I take it you know I, I sound like such an old man when I ask this when I say how can people find your music? We have your name, you know, it's periodically scrolling on our screen. I'm assuming you've got a presence on Instagram. Yeah, my Instagram is um, it's Dorian Violin. Okay. Okay. And then, and then the um, the stuff, the albums. If you look under my name, Dorian Chia, on okay. Spotify, you'll find them there. Oh, that's great. Yeah, my uh, TikTok also is Dorian Violin. So Instagram. So, all right, because what you do is perfect to put out a bunch of TikToks too, uh, until Congress yeah. gets rid of it, right? right. Like you know, just. It's a, also it's a good way to do like just it's a good way to to stay in the flow. And yeah. Started like almost a year ago, just sort of like all right, I'm gonna I'm gonna post content like every day, you know. And that's yeah. the goal. I haven't quite you know like there have been days where I haven't done it. Right. But I've been doing a lot, you know, and a lot of it is just like, you know, like just come up with a track idea in 20 minutes and usually it's just like 60 seconds long or something. Right. Right. Throw it down and then like, and then just put my camera up and record something playing on it. And, and then like, 
you know, and that's it. And I think that it's it sad. Is, but it is. And it just like keeps me creative. You know, I was just going to say as an artist, I would think that that's like going to the gym every day. Yeah. You know, it, it yeah. keeps your muscles loose. It keeps your muscles strong. That That's very cool. Hey, yeah. Um, have time to like start doing all the self-critical stuff you know and like yeah. uh, I don't know if say, but for me it's like okay well it's good enough to, I, I mean i might i might it might not be good enough to um invest all this time and make it into like a real record but it's good enough to post on instagram right. and, and to make a moment that that brings happiness and joy to people right yeah, here's just a vibe you know and yeah scroll it and you know maybe you know some people will like it and you and know. if they don't they they just scroll down and you know scrolling yeah yeah i mean and and that's that's the kind of like just do it and let it go kind yeah. of like don't be invested in the result you know just just do that's it. the hard part i would think and um and yeah. that yeah and it is and it and but it gets easier with repetition right right you know? and it's like so if you want to do this if you want to be creative then, then you do it, you know, and, and like, sometimes it doesn't feel, it doesn't always have to feel inspired. No, because, you, because tomorrow you'll remember that yeah, when I, when I went in that direction, it was just, okay, I think, all right, I figured that out. Now I'm going to go in this direction. Then tomorrow is going to be freaking amazing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And you never know too. And that's the other thing that I've learned is I'm pretty much the worst judge of right. my work, you know, like I never know when something is good or if it's not good. That makes and sense. The moment, you know, I have no idea. And for me to act like an expert, like I know that is, is presumptuous and kind of arrogant. So all I know is my job is to do the thing. It's not to judge the thing. And I'm stealing that from actually from, um, from the artist's way, which is this book by Julia Cameron. Okay. Um, and she does these, I mean, it's a sort of a, it's a, a it's, it's, it's a practice in, in creativity. But anyway, that's, that's something that's in that book, which is my job as an artist is to make the art, not to judge it. Oh, that, yeah. Right. And then, and then we will consume your art as, as we want it, as we take it, as we feel it and as we want it. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and your job is just your job is to pump it out there in just a way show that up and do it. Yeah. yeah, show up and do it in a way that's consistent with who you are and what you're feeling. Yeah, and then we we will consume it in the same way, right? We'll consume it as we want to, as we wish, as we feel it. You know, that's right. It's good that's stuff. Like, it's good like, shit, as they say. It's great. It's great. <laughs> and if you listen to like Rick Rubin talks about this kind of stuff all the time. Yeah, he's he's all over social media these days. I know he's got a book out. I haven't read it yet, but I'm going to. He's got a good beard. I'll tell you that he's got that cool beard. <laughs> he's you know. got a hair, yeah, yeah. But yeah, he's yeah. waxing philosophic all over social media these days. I know, I know. There's, I've been seeing so much of him, but um. But what's but, interesting? I scroll by. I don't know why. With a with a discography like that, I mean, he's I know some of the most like most influential music in the last 50 years you know? yeah i know he's you know, crazy crazy prolific as yeah. no one ever said but crazy prolific so i gotta tell you i want to i'm gonna wrap it up only because we're gonna keep you all night if we keep going yeah. and 
if you will agree, we'll get you back for. I'd love to get you back for a part two at some Let's point. Let's do it, man. For I sure. Would, I would no, love that. I yeah. would love that too. Yeah. Yeah. This this is fabulous. We've had a great time, and and you know the shows yeah. are great when we we could you and I could do four hours, but uh, we we <laughs> we probably should limit it to about an hour. Thanks for letting me talk, man. Thanks uh, it, for, uh, you know, and thanks for yeah the back and forth it's great man uh, we, we we've really, really appreciated it um we'll scroll it all over the place but um uh just look for his music it's great stuff and i love your marriage of the classical and uh the rock it's as scott put it it's great alchemy so thank you so much for joining uh, us and for all of you on guitar tales i want i want to mention something really special before we hit our outgoing bumper with big daddy abel um I was over last night, at least last night, in relationship to tonight's taping uh, at Bar Anticipation with Guitar Tales friend Tommy Janron putting together a great event for a, a wonderful rock and roll fan who had passed away, Laurie Silver. And Tommy put together some of the best cover bands anywhere ever assembled under one roof. And prominent among those bands were multiple guests from here on Guitar Tales, but uh, Scott's going to give you the uh, bumper from Big Daddy Abel, and I was there for that, and they just took the house down. Uh, Big Bang Baby also took the house down. Uh, but we want to thank all of you on Guitar Tales as our community grows and grows and grows, spreading love and positivity all over the place. So thank you so much for joining us, signing off tonight on Guitar Tales. Thank you. I'm number two. I'm number two. No, I was the second. That's right. I was the second one. The second on Guitar Tales, ladies and gentlemen. You're watching it right now. I'm Big Daddy Emma with the Amish Outlaws. I gotta go back to work. Here we go. Hi, this is Dave Cohen, host of Guitar Tales, and Scott Guitarist is Dangle. So we put together this show every week for you guys, or at least every other week. We want you to do two things for us, which would be good for everyone. If you could subscribe on our YouTube channel, that would be great. And, and share. Please share the videos around with your friends. Let them know Guitar Tales is out there. Uh, it's not just about guitar players. We have a lot to offer. Thank you.